1: And I'm so excited to announce that in August, we will be having the 400th episode of the Author to Authority podcast. And in celebration of that, I have decided to do the top 25 episodes of the Author to Authority podcast for the whole summer and we will celebrate the 400 about mid-August. So there'll be a couple of episodes after that. And I chose these episodes because they were the ones that I just personally felt were the ones that gave tremendous amount of value that were going to help you as an entrepreneur, professional, a speaker, a coach, to move your business forward. These were value-packed episodes that are just going to give you action steps that are just going to really propel you to the next level so i'd love for you to sit back relax and enjoy this top 25 episode welcome to the author to authority podcast and today we have part one of a two-part series that I am doing with Jason Cutter on transforming your business from being an order taker to a quota breaker. And I am excited because Jason is the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group, and he sees himself as a sales success architect. And he does anything from training, to scripting, to sales tech. He helps small businesses create scalable inside sales teams. And his newest program is called Authentic Persuasion, with the goal of helping people to go from order taker to quota breaker. So welcome to the show, Jason.
2: Thanks for having me, Kim. I'm super excited to talk about this topic and, you know, writing and business and we all of that, which uh, some of it's good for me and some of it is not my strength.
1: <laughs> yes, because right now you're in the final stages of your book. Yes. And that must be an exciting time.
2: It is. The final stages is definitely exciting and everything coming together. It's definitely been a journey in my head and through a process as well.
1: And we're going to talk about that writing journey in the second episode that we're going to do together. But let's start. What is the name of your book going to be?
2: Selling with Authentic Persuasion, Transform from Order-Taker to Quota-Breaker.
1: I love it. All right, Jason, so why don't you take some time, introduce yourself, and uh, share a bit of your story with us.
2: Yes. So as you had mentioned in the intro, I am a consultant. I focus on sales success for individuals, for sales teams, mostly companies that have inside sales like telephone sales, where they're hoping to help somebody move forward with some purchase decision over the phone. Consultative type sales where there 's you know a clear fit for the right people, and you know there 's not a good fit for the wrong people <laughs> and so that 's what I focus on. I do everything from mindset to training to sales to scripting to like you said the technology piece and, and marketing and i 've been in sales for a long time, like a lot of people, I fell into sales i wouldn 't say accidentally because you know I made the decision it wasn 't like I tripped one day and fell into an <laughs> office and started on the phone in sales. But it was literally not my plan and not mm-hmm. something I wanted to do when I grew up, like most people. <laughs> and, you know, the funny part and where I really love helping people now in consulting, as well as what I've done in my success in sales, comes from the fact that for me, my path is a windy mess. I, like, I have been all over the map as far as my career and life. And I feel like a lot of that comes into the authenticity of helping people and being real with people. I mean, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology. I spent years tagging sharks. I worked at Microsoft doing tech support for a couple of years. I mean, I grew up as a shy, awkward, only child, late bloomer to two very analytical parents. Yet here I am as a sales consultant, which on one side doesn't make any sense. And on the other side, it lends itself really well to this authentic persuasion kind of method that I teach people.
1: Well, you know, if you can negotiate sharks, I guess you can negotiate people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's funny because you can't really negotiate with sharks you know, especially once they get to a certain size, when they're bigger than you, you, you can't really negotiate. But funny side story, one of the things that I did was tagging great white sharks. And this is near Santa Cruz, California. And my job, because I was the young guy on the boat, right, I'm 19, 20, 21 years old. My job was to take the long pole and push the 18 foot great white shark away from the bait that was hanging on the side of the boat and so I had to convince the shark to, to not eat the piece of you know fish or seal that was there. And yeah, sometimes I did a good job. Sometimes I didn't.
1: Now, were you ever in the water with the sharks?
2: Not with Great Whites, no. That was definitely from a boat and illegal in California to be in a cage. So that was just from the boat with smaller sharks, you know, up to three, four five feet, definitely in the water, in the estuary, in the slough. So, yeah, spent a lot of time in the water with
1: smaller sharks. So how do you tag a shark if you're not in the water with them? A long pole with a sharp tip. That's how you do it
2: and the other thing that we used to do with blue sharks is you wouldn't be in the water with them they'd be swimming around and you would sometimes we would just literally reach over the side of the boat and grab them with our hands and pull them into the boat by hand and then hold them down and tag them and weigh them and measure
1: them so obviously those are the smaller sharks
2: (laughs) yeah up to like four feet or so you're just reaching over and and grabbing a shark you know why not
1: (laughs) you know it's funny i've actually watched animal shows where i've seen that done but don't, you know, usually on these shows, it's such a serious thing to get this shark into the boat, right? And you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, we just grabbed them and threw them in, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's,
2: again, and people listening to this and people, when I tell the story, they think it like ridiculous because you couldn't imagine it. But yeah, I mean, it's only a three or four foot, you know, yeah. shark. So why not? just Just grab it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the truth <laughs> is, once they're out of the water, it's not that they can't hurt you, but. They're a lot less help. They're more helpless when they're out of the water.
2: Yeah. You just got to have the person who's holding the head pay very close attention to what Mm -hmm. they're doing. That's pretty much it. That was the rule.
1: (laughs) Did you ever get injured at all?
2: No, not really. Not by any sharks. It's funny because I, I thought for the longest time, what would have been cool is some kind of non-life-threatening shark scar, like being bit and having like this cool thing on my leg that I could point to. But no, that never happened. You know, some, some fishing-related, equipment-related stuff, but never, never shark-related, other than the fact that their skin is like sandpaper. If you've ever felt it, it's like sandpaper and they say it's true. So when you're holding one like, like a log at your chest and it starts rolling and twitching, then you know, it burns. But other than that, no. (laughs) And of course, all of this is totally related to my sales consulting.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think sometimes sales does feel like shark wrangling. So
2: 100% dealing with actual sharks in the water is way easier. Yeah. (laughs) They're very predictable. They go one direction. They have one thing in mind. And that's very easy to predict and mitigate.
1: Cool. So, so what really got you into sales though? What kind of, you know, for me, it was
2: I, Microsoft ended, contracts ended. They moved all the jobs to China and India for the first time in outsourcing, which now people take for granted and assume has just always been that way. And I needed a job. Family friends said, Hey, there's a guy who's growing his mortgage business. You should do that. It was the height of, or getting to be the height of the real estate boom at the time, 2002, 2003. And so I went into it. It seemed like it wasn't selling, it wasn't sales, it didn't require a lot of convincing. I didn't get any training and I made lots of mistakes that cost me lots of money because I was still doing it wrong and learn a lot of lessons that I still use to today in myself and for others in that process, which just started me on this journey of, of selling and sales.
1: Now, when did you decide to start your own consulting group?
2: So mentally, I decided to do that. Around 2014, 2015. It didn't actually take shape until the end of 2018, Mm -hmm. but Another sidebar, I was working as a government contractor overseas as a civilian, a lot of time on my hands, and I realized everything that I had done in sales and business like, would be the perfect use as a consultant because I've done it internally, now I could do it externally, so that's great. So I started the process of getting my MBA, which I earned in 2017, and before I could actually go into consulting, somebody I knew had made me an offer to come work for him, and so I essentially worked as a consultant. Not with that title, but with that kind of approach internally, and was like the one who fixed departments, started departments, started offices, you know, built out systems and processes internally as an employee, did that for three years. And then when that ended, I was like, okay, now is the time for me to go officially into this and do this for other people on, you know, contract basis.
1: Mm-hmm. That is really cool. I like your story. You know, what it shows me is the fact that. Sometimes we don't know we're going to kind of fall into, you know, I, I never thought that I would be a publisher. It was not something in my game plan for my life. And yet, you know, certain circumstances happened. And, you know, I I started doing free freelance writing, realized how much I loved it. And then people wanted additional services. And within a year, I've got a publishing company. That's awesome. You know, so like, I think the point is, 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 that as an entrepreneur, even though if you've never done this before, you know, it wasn't in your game plan, but you don't have to have had the past to be able to be an entrepreneur now. And many of the lessons that you've learned along the way in different areas actually help you as an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah. So for me, the toughest part was the mental for the longest time I beat myself up in my own head about my windy path and how I didn't follow the standard model of what you're supposed to do. Go to college, you get a degree, get a career, you know, have a career, start a family, do all those things. And I didn't. And then I realized later on, like those experiences actually made me who I was and the ability to do what I do with a wide range of different people and conversations and persuading and all of that was actually very valuable plus being self-aware enough to know what my strengths are and what I'm really good at and what I can really do to benefit other people and what that value actually is and leaning more on that.
1: Well, let's kind of get into our main topic for today and that's transform from an order taker to a quota breaker. And I know you've got some things prepared, so I'm going to let you loose for a bit to (laughs) share what you've got prepared and then we're going to talk about it.
2: So I think the biggest thing is that, you know, in that formula, which is authentic persuasion, there's two important pieces. And, you know, like you just mentioned, what I see a lot in the world of people who are supposed to be selling, right? Whether you're in a cubicle on a phone and you're supposed to be, you know, closing deals or you're a coach or a consultant. And there's a sales aspect prior to you getting to do what you really want to do, which is that coaching or that consulting. There's a sales. So I'm not just talking to, you know, who you think, okay, they're in a call center or they're on a, on a uh, car lots, trying to sell a car. There's, I mean, I say this all the time, everything in life is sales. And so it's very important, but there's a lot of people who operate like an order taker. They're giving information, they're hoping someone buy buys from them, and they don't want to persuade because they see that as manipulation and they're afraid that... You know, To be successful in sales takes being that person you see in the movies that's just ripping people off, manipulating, lying, You know, using sales tactics, using these closing lines, trapping people, using NLP, and doing all of these things that people don't want to do because they yeah. don't like when it's done to them. So they exactly. choose to do nothing. So what I teach and help people to understand is the power in authentic persuasion, which the first part, you know, on the practical side is knowing who you are, being self-aware, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, Mm -hmm. understanding your strengths. Like, what is it that you really are good at? For me, I'm really good at solving problems, taking things apart, understanding how it works. I'm terrible at putting things back together. So if I take apart the remote for the TV, it will will just buy a sec. I'll know how it works, but we'll need to buy another one because I won't know how to put it back together. It's also why I don't work on my own car because I can take it apart. I just can't put it back together. So want to know how it works. And then I want to solve problems and I want to make things better. When I was younger, I didn't really thought think I liked people because I was a late bloomer and people were strange to me and, and not nice growing up. And so I focused it on, on certain things. That's why the sharks, right? That's problem solving and understanding. And then I shifted to people. So what are your And they strengths? don't talk what back. They, they don't talk back. It's very nice, right? Like it's way better than when I worked in a restaurant waiting tables and people would talk back or want, you know, certain things. So, you know, it's, it's, it was always easier. And like, I learned what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. And then also the other thing from a practical side is that we all have fears. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, there's a part of all of our brains that is still stuck thousands and thousands of years ago on the savannah, on the plains, in a cave, fighting for survival, worried about eating the wrong berry, worried about animals that might jump out and kill us at any moment. Yeah. And our brain still thinks that. So it holds people back. Like if you call somebody and they don't buy from you, that means nothing and it's not <laughs> going to kill you. But our ego they is citizens. so afraid of that because an attack at our ego is the same thing. They might as well had shot us and we're now bleeding to death. That's Our, our brain doesn't know the difference, right? And so yeah. a lot of people who are in sales, they're afraid of moving conversations forward because their ego is keeping them in their comfort zone. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the things too, is understand where the fear is stopping you, understand where that is keeping you from what you want, and then working on that, right? Some people, like I talked to somebody yesterday, no fear of public speaking, no fear of asking for sales definitely is never going to bungee jump, right? So people have different fear levels in different areas in their life. And so it's okay. Yeah, that's probably where do you have no fear. That's right. And that's me too, right? Like, <laughs> I, I am.
1: Let me sell. Yeah, exactly. I am not bungee jumping.
2: <laughs> no, bungee jumping, skydiving, none of that makes sense to me. I'm exactly the same way. And So it's really about where are you confident in your life in other areas and where can you apply that in what you do for the sales side. So that's, that's some of it. And the other, the other part on the authentic piece is really about understanding why you want to be successful in whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So if you have some sales aspect, why? I mean, the first thing I have everyone do that I work with, create a vision board. Might sound silly, Mm -hmm. might sound like a weird art project, create a vision board of what you want and why, so that when somebody says no, you... Know why you want to pick up the phone and ask somebody else again to try to buy from you and what it's all for, right? What's important to Mm -hmm. you at this moment in your life, buying a house, buying a car, going on vacation, having savings, doesn't matter, right? It's individual. So that's the authentic piece.
1: Well, you know, when you're you're talking about taking things apart and not able to put them back together, you know, my dad was a pretty smart man. And, you know, very good with computers, incredible with people, you know, had good professional acumen, like he was just this really great person, but he wasn't really good at fixing things. He, he could, he had enough knowledge to be dangerous. Yeah. And it was funny because there was quite a few times. Because my husband's like the ultimate computer guru, electronic person, and his nickname is MacGyver because he can just fix just about anything. And sometimes Love with it. a roll of duct tape and a paper clip, like he's just that type of person, yeah. right? I can remember my dad would call and my dad didn't call very often, but every once in a while he would call and you know get chatting and he'd say, hey, dear, how you doing? And we chat and invariably the conversation would go, my dear, is Ross around by any chance? And I already knew what had happened is dad had tried to fix something and it didn't go yeah. well. So, <laughs> you know, him and my husband would talk. And then the next time we went up to visit, Ross would bring all of his tools and him and my dad would fix whatever it is my dad had tried to fix and cook. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Well, and and I think what's interesting is, is. If we look at that too, you said your dad knew enough to be dangerous, which I think people, everyone knows someone like that, or we have an area in our life like that. I see a lot of people who are in sales that are kind of that same way or should Mm -hmm. be selling, where they think they know enough to be dangerous, but they're not effective, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're more of a a hazard to themselves and others because they're missing the pieces of, you know, and the knowledge and the wisdom and the skills to put that thing back together, right? To make Mm -hmm. that sale happen but they think they know it, right? They think they know sales. Hey, I know sales. I know coaching. I know consulting. Like, I'm really good. Like, but do you know sales?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you know, kind of touched on that in the beginning to, for many entrepreneurs and especially see this more in professionals and like you said, coaches and and consultants, uh, sales becomes the S word. It's like the necessary evil that they have to do to get to what they really want. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think that perception, that mindset really needs to change because you can't really grow a business without some sort of sales system. And for me, I, the sales part of my business is actually the beginning of a new relationship. It is. You know, that's when I, I get to start to know people is through that sales process. And, you know, I'm like everybody else. I don't get 100% yeses, you know, I get yeses, I get no's, and I get the, you know what, it's not the right time. Those are the three things I get. And so, but the relationship, that's what I focus in on is the relationship, because that's, to me, the valuable part. And I find when you focus in on that, it makes the selling part a lot easier.
2: And I think the key is, is to focus on relationships because it's all personal, right? Like mm. there's, there's terms now floating around. People might be familiar with this, like B B to B, right? So there's mm. business to business, somebody who's selling software or something to a company. Then there's B to C or D to C, which is direct to consumer business, you know, consumer, right? I'm selling something to an individual. And then there's people who are now pushing more of the H to H, which is human to human. Like no matter what it is, even if you're the marketing director at a company or you're somebody struggling with writing a book, Mm -hmm. then it's still a human. It's me as a human dealing with you as a human. How can I help you? How can we build a relationship? How can I care about you? And there's a large part of the sales world and people who are in sales who think that's soft and maybe that's weak and that's not what sales is about. Sales about closing deals and moving on, right? And, uh, you know, derogatory term like bro culture, which is just like all about what you see. It's the the wolf of Wall Street. It's the boiler room type of sales attitude. But that's not what people want. I mean, it works to a certain extent. People can pull it off, but that's not what they want. They want the relationship. They want to know you care about them. And then this is the part where people struggle and fail on the sales side is they want to start building a relationship. They care. They lots of rapport, lots of empathy, maybe even some questions but then they're not moving it forward yeah. towards the relationship and and a good example i use all the time because most people can relate is courtship and dating right mm-hmm. so imagine you want to go out with somebody you go out on one date at the end of the date you're like okay that was fun if you ever want to do this again just let me know right and then you just walk away and then that's it and that's what that's what people do in sales right they don't that say this do was good like I think this is a really good fit. I would like to see where this goes. What are you doing on Friday, right? Like, yes. like moving it forward in the conversation towards the relationship, right? Like if you're in a dating relationship, theoretically, some aspect of that is, is this a long-term fit? Could this be someone I'm going to be with long-term and or marriage and or kids, wherever you want to go with it? And not just, hey, we just had coffee once and this, you know, you just let me know. And same thing with sales. Like a lot of what you're talking about and what I help people with is that is literally the start relationship. Even if you're mm-hmm. selling software to a company, once the sale closes, now the work begins. Same thing yeah. with consultants and coaches. So you've got to take it forward. You've got to keep moving forward if it's a good fit with the intention of like long term.
1: Yeah. You know, it was funny. Like I, I told you, I got a new client this morning. Well, her and I get on the phone and you know, within and this doesn't always happen, but it was one of those days where within five minutes we realized she's one year older than me. So we realized that at the same age we got engaged, at the same age we got married, wow. at the same month, like we got married in the same month, one year apart. We got we had our first children the same month, one year apart. Like was just was like hilarious. We spent the whole first 20 minutes of the phone call laughing because there was just so much similarities. And I think that's, that's something that's key. You know, I work with a lot of very diverse people, but there's always commonalities that you can draw from. But one thing that you really were talking about, and let's focus in on that for a few minutes, is how do you, how do you, you know, you're having this amazing conversation, you're developing that relationship, you know, you're, you know, you're feeling really good about this potential client. How do you transition that into, let's say, a soft close? Because not everybody's ready for a full close. But like, what are some of the ways that you can do, like what they call like a soft or trial close to see see interest level?
2: I mean, for me, it's making that transition from the rapport, the empathy, the get to getting to know you to building trust. And the way to do the empathy and trust step is asking questions and digging Mm -hmm. deep and asking as many questions as you can to get as deep as they will let you with whatever information. And the fundamental thing that you have to be able to answer if you want to be a selling professional, again, in a cube or as a consultant, whatever that looks like, is you have to know why do they need what you have to sell if it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously there's times when it's not a good fit, right? No, yeah. I can't help you. You, you need to go do something else. Here's a recommendation. Here's a referral. Best of luck with that. Right. And that's a whole yeah. different topic. But if it's a good fit, you need to know why do they need what you have to offer for their reasons, not why you have the features, not, mm-hmm. not what's in the brochure, not why you think you're so amazing, not what your Yelp reviews say about you. Like nobody cares about that stuff in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. They care about themselves. It's what's in it for me. And that's all that matters. And so as a sales person or person with some sales aspect, you've got to understand why do they want it? And as soon as you uncover that, then it's game on in the conversation because now you're taking what they need and want. And then you're prescribed, you diagnosed what it is. And then you're now prescribing like a doctor and you're Mm -hmm. telling them, okay, based on what you said and based on X, Y, and Z, here's why this would be the best fit for you. And then kind of like that doctor analogy is you just assume like there's trial close, there's soft close, there's hard close, there's all these things. I just assume you have problem X, I have solution X. Okay, the next step is let's go ahead and get you started, right? Like literally I've told people that. Okay, so based on this information, it sounds like the best thing to do is to work together and for you to sign up for this program. I need to get some information from you. Go ahead and grab your credit card while I get some some info from you. Like we're just done. I I don't even need to ask you if you'd like to do it because Mm -hmm. you've given me permission in this conversation to explore. We've explored. You've come to me with a broken leg. I've diagnosed the broken leg. Now we're going to fix the broken leg. Any questions?
1: That's it. (laughs) I really like that. You know, and, and the thing
2: is, is I can, I wouldn't say get away with it, but when you do it from a place of caring and empathy and knowing what's best for the people you can help and knowing what the outcome will be with you and what the outcome is, is like without you and your help, mm-hmm. then it comes from a different place of power where it's like, I'm doing this for you because it's my duty and responsibility. If we hang yes. up the phone and you don't buy from me, I don't know what's going to happen to you.
1: And I mean, I know for some people what you've just said probably is going to scare them to pieces because that's probably something so new and, and revolutionary to them. But I remember the first time that I don't use quite that wording, probably a little softer in my wording. But I remember the first time I really felt that kind of attitude that I just assumed the sale and it was scary. I didn't want to do it because it kind of goes, you know made me feel uncomfortable. But I remember when I did it and the person said, okay, yeah, here's my information. Let's get started. And I went, it's a good thing they couldn't see my face. It was over the phone because I'm like, that worked. (laughs) Right. Like on the inside, I'm going, yes, 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 yes. Right. But it does. Like you you have to know that what you provide is valuable and is valuable to that, that person. And here's the thing, by assuming the sale, if the person's not really ready to go move forward, they are going to tell you no.
2: They will stop you. Let them stop you, don't stop yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I think we get in our minds, we assume they're not going to buy. And so we have to change that mindset and assume they are going to buy.
2: And we assume like this is what I see a lot. This is where that order taker category comes in. Is they assume that they the order taker type person assumes that the prospect's not going to want to buy, doesn't understand why they would want to buy, doesn't see the value, and then also either can't afford it or isn't
1: willing to pay for it. Wow, I think we've hit a really good point where we can kind of close off this section, and then we'll we'll pick up the conversation because I know you still have some more stuff to share. So. How can people connect with you? And we'll continue this in part two.
2: The simplest way that I have been doing recently is if you go to jasoncutter.com, J-A-S-O-N-C-U-T-T-E-R.com, it's a hub for lots of different things. So I have my consulting website. I have the Authentic Persuasion website. I'm very active on LinkedIn, but if you go to jasoncutter.com, like all of it's there with a mm-hmm. hub of buttons to find various resources, courses, programs that I have, and you know, get in touch with me through that.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much. This has been Jason Cutter and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode where we are going to continue this conversation and we will see you.